ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. I am fortunate enough to be the site manager of SB Nation's GrizzlyBearBlues.com. That is, of course, the Memphis Grizzlies blog for SB Nation. And we have a wonderful guest on this week's episode. Uh, does an amazing job talking about all sorts of basketball across all different places. I decided to give her a, uh, a nice platform to continue to spread the good word of the Memphis Grizzlies here momentarily. But first, ways to get in touch with the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. You can follow our podcast on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow the blog, again, that I'm fortunate enough to uh, be at the, the head of the ship of, at SBN Grizzlies. My co-host, Parker Fleming, not able to join us this week, associate editor over at GBB, one of my right-hand men. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Really excited again for our guest this week. She does a tremendous job. She has more jobs than I do, which is impressive because uh, I, I do a lot of different things. Um, she works with uh, MSG Networks, obviously connected to the New York Knicks in that way. She has a great role with the uh, junior NBA. Obviously, most Grizzlies fans will know her from her amazing work on ESPN. Again, I feel like the best way to put it with the vibes that the Grizzlies put out on a nightly basis, even in losses, uh, it, the gospel, I feel like, is a solid way to put it. Uh, Ms. Monica McNutt, thank you so much for joining us on the show this time around on GBB Live. How are you doing? I'm good, Joe. That was quite the introduction. I'm glad that I could be a preacher of sorts. Yes. Well, I <laughs> think it's gospel. necessary because I, I think that, and obviously it's a bit overblown. I think everybody can agree with that. And this year, more than ever, uh, the Grizzlies have been getting national shine because of one John Morant, who I'm sure... We'll talk about a time or two on the show here momentarily. Uh, but in the past, and I think this is where a lot of that tension comes from. I've been doing this for eight years now, Monica, which is way too long in blogger years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, covering the Grizzlies back during grit and grind, they felt like they were perpetually undercovered. And that was frustrating because we as fans, bloggers, media, whatever, saw how special the Grizzlies were. And it seemed like nobody else either really got it or put forth the effort to try to get it. So we as Grizzlies supporters and fans, we really appreciate when there's folks in the national media that take a shining to our our little team down in the deep south. We appreciate it. So uh, thank you for, again, you, Kendrick Perkins. I think J.J. Redick has uh, come around a time or two. You know, there's they, But you were there first in credit uh, with the Grizzlies and, and who they've become relatively early in their rebuild. Um, well, you know, Joe, it's funny the things that catch our eyes based on our personal experience. And I can remember, and I'll be honest, job being drafted, I was like, hmm, okay, I get it. I see it. The handles, the explosion. Is this going to translate? Like, is it actually going to translate? Sure. Um, and so his rookie year was like, whoa, okay. All right. It checked, checked that box. It translated. Um, and then I can remember watching this team last year. I took an interest after Neil Ivey who is now the head coach at Notre Dame women's basketball joined right. the staff. I just thought that was so cool. And I knew her work in the women's basketball world and just was really kind of intrigued by what the organization had going on. And I remember the grit and grind and Tony Allen and those guys back in the day. Um, but I think last year in particular, that team was like eerily reminiscent of like the teams, the good Georgetown teams that I had been on. And so that was like, this nexus that I just couldn't shake. And I remember coming down the stretch last year, watching that final regular season game, um, or at least I can't remember, was it the final regular season game or the first matchup with the Warriors before the play-in game? 
Yeah, the one that they lost. Yeah, the one that they lost. Right. You could see it coming together, though. And I think while the Warriors were hot and and Steph was doing what he was doing, MVP-type caliber behavior, if you really watch that game, Dylan Brooks fouling out, like, changed the whole game. Like, right. that, it changed the whole game. And so, for me, when you see a squad that is so young, so hungry, there's nothing that a Hooper wants more than a chance to run it back. Like, let's go. And so, I just felt like running back was about to be a recipe for disaster for Warriors fans. And so, we went ahead and jumped out there. Yeah, it, it really was fun to watch that. And that team continues to do things like that. To a lesser extent, I would say their loss on Monday night against Philadelphia. Granted, no Joel Embiid. Obviously, you can make arguments the Grizzlies probably should have won that game in some ways, but Philly had been playing really well, and players like Tyrese Max have been playing really well and others on that roster. So it, it was not really surprising that they lost, but the fact that they played really poorly, I think the team outside of Desmond Bain, who we'll talk more about in a moment, made one three-point shot out of 20 or 21 attempts, like just an abysmal shooting percentage, like 5% from beyond the arc. The fact that they were even in that game and it went to overtime, it's another one of those things where they lose, but you saw things that you can be positive about. You saw things that make you think as they figure things out, as they improve the roster or they internally develop, there's going to be a lot of room for growth there. I'm curious, before we get started, uh, we're going to kind of center around our question of the day, uh, but your own basketball career, I, I wanted to touch that on, on that a little bit before we started recording. I told you that you and I, you know, you're from uh, the D.C. area, uh, relatively speaking, went to Georgetown. Shout out to the Hoyas. Um, I'm from northern Virginia, and Georgetown was actually one of my favorite teams growing up as a kid. Uh, I, I, I'm embarrassed to say I'm going to forget his name on the recording. It's on the tip of my tongue. They had a big man, Mike Sweeney. Was that his name? Let's Mike Sweeney, Mike, though. You got Mike it, Sweetney. Joe. Mike yep. Sweetney. It was Mike Sweetney. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and I really liked how Mike Sweetney played. He was kind of built like me. He was a big man, but because I'm about 6'3". So that, that's okay. my height. And I, basketball was my first love. I became a football player when I stopped growing. Um, I was 6'3 in ninth grade. Um, but anyway, nobody cares about that. My point is I really identified with Mike Sweetney's game. And that was one of the reasons I really liked watching Georgetown basketball. So as you've kind of risen up the, the media ranks, I was like, Monica McNutt, that name's kind of familiar. And I, you know, I would watch Georgetown women's basketball. And I remember oh, nice. uh, you not, I, I'll be honest, not like religiously, but, you know, I've watched a few games and I remembered the name and, and I really have been impressed with your media work, of course. But I think not enough folks talk about, you know, your history as a basketball player. So maybe just briefly kind of talk about your experience, both in high school and in college the chances that you've had to play. And I know you had a a special relationship with uh, somebody that I have a great deal of respect for coach John Thompson as well. Yeah. um, Thanks for that question, Joe. I really appreciate that. And it's cool. The sort of symmetry of you being in the DMV area. Now, what part of Nova were you from? Uh, Manassas, Virginia. Got it. Prince William County. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Cool. 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 Yeah. So we used to trek out there for tournaments and such. So Mm -hmm. we all in that same region. That's Um, right. But I think for me, it's funny you mentioned Mike Sweetney. My dad was a college official before I was born. He's been a college official for as long as I can remember. In fact, I think he probably hung it up just before the pandemic. But anyway, so my dad was officiating high school games in the D.C. area, Oxley Hill being one of them, Mike Sweetney being one of the players that was a big deal coming out of Oxley Hill High School. Um, So I would tag along with him. I would just go to games with my dad, and I fell in love with basketball that way. Um, I remember – when Lamar Butler, am I messing up Lamar's last name? 
I think that's his last name, was at Oxen Hill as well. He went on to George Mason, and that was the team that got to the Final Four. Like, just tagging along with my dad was how I fell in love with the game. And I remember saying to him, I want to do this. Like, I want to play ball. Um, and he's like, do you want to be good or you just want to play? And I'm like, I want to be good. And we were in dance class. And my mom wouldn't let me out of dance class so that I could work out on Saturday. She said, you got to finish this calendar dance year. And that was fine. But once we did that, I'm in fourth grade. You know, it was no turning back in terms of my love of the game and the work that I was willing to put in to be good and have a future. And then you kind of grasp the idea of going to college for free if you can do this well enough. And that became the goal. Um, and my recruiting process was pretty swift. I was sort of enamored with Georgetown, again, courtesy of my dad, going to the Kenner League during the summer, going to the then MCI Center to watch Georgetown play. Shout you know, out my to dad. the MCI Center. That's right? Awesome. Back in the day, right? Um, <laughs> being familiar with John Thompson Jr., Big John as we know him. Um, and so when I met him on my recruiting visit, it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to come here because like this this giant of a man, literally, both literally and figuratively, is like, why would you go anywhere else? And I remember thinking that the degree would mean something. I would have the opportunity to play immediately and be a part of building a program. Um, and I was sold. And so went to Georgetown. Um, was pretty much a four-year starter. Learned a tremendous amount about the game, obviously, but also about leadership, about being a teammate, work ethic, all those intangible Joe. And here we are. Just decided to kind of plong from there. It was actually our sports and information really planted the seed for me to explore this media thing. That's really cool. And, and, and I like those backgrounds, especially from folks that obviously have had a, a great amount of success like you, just le- reading through your bio on the Georgetown page, captained by your teammates and coaches. And that was it as, as a junior. So to be a junior captain in that program, that mm-hmm. speaks a lot to your character and the kind of leader you are. So um, again, I, I'm a coach and a teacher. So whenever I get somebody like you that has that higher level experience of playing at the next level uh, in terms of division one basketball professional, whatever it might be. I, I do a little bit of research. So I thought that was really, really cool. And, and I appreciate your insight. You know what it takes to kind of, like you said, build from within. And I think that's a great segue into the Memphis Grizzlies. Cause that's exactly what they've done in terms of winning the lottery, quote unquote, to bring in John Morant in that second overall pick when they weren't supposed to have that highest selection to go from that to obviously having the holdover of Jaron Jackson Jr. But aside from Jaron, Dylan Brooks, and Kyle Anderson, this entire roster is new compared to when Zach Kleiman took over about three years ago now. And they have built it from within. There have been no major free agency signings, no you know splashy kind of moves in that regard. It's all been culturally based, and the Grizzlies have really driven that point home time and again. You hear it in all of their media availabilities. So I guess before we get to the question of the day and kind of break down who exactly is responsible for this, and the correct answer, of course, is all of them. Everybody has some sort of a role in a, in a situation like this. But I guess from the outside perspective, watching John Morant in particular on a night-in, night-out basis, the things that he's doing right now that simply have never been done in a Memphis Grizzlies uniform. And some of the things, he's starting to get into the rarefied air. I believe there was a statistic that was put out about his latest seven-game stretch of scoring 30 points or more, you know, it's him, Durant, and LeBron, I think, or him, LeBron, and Jordan. Mm-hmm. It was something like that. You know, he's reaching that point to where it's not getting as crazy as maybe as it once was to make those early comparisons. Again, it's based off of year 22, or excuse me, uh, age 22 seasons. 
Um, not year 22. Good Lord. That's Tom Brady. Shout out to <laughs> Tom Brady who just retired. Um, but age 22 seasons. So you look at John Morant, how he's kind of the catalyst for all of this. What do you see him being in terms of, you know, obviously he's an all-star starter, all-NBA team almost certainly. As he progresses, you know, you start thinking about what is next for him, not necessarily in terms of not enjoying the here and the now, but what his ceiling could be. You know, Taylor Jenkins has said time and again, he's not sure what the ceiling is for John Morant because he is not necessarily Allen Iverson 2.0 or Derek Rose you know, from his early uh, years or whatever comparison you want to make, he really does kind of look like the first of his kind. Do you agree with that assessment that you're not really sure what his ceiling is because of what he's already done at such a young age? Yeah, I think it's smart. Obviously, Taylor has a closer seat to jaw than I do, so I would be hesitant to rebuff that idea. But I will say we're in an interesting place in terms of fandom and impact. And a lot of this has to do with social media, which AI obviously didn't have and was not at the heights that it is now when Derrick Rose became the youngest MVP. I think when you talk ceilings, it's about far more than basketball now. Um, And in many ways, AI was in fact a cultural icon, whether you were on the side of of streetwear or suits or whatever. Um, In many ways, AI did have that cultural impact. Um, But I just think the way that the next generation of fan is gravitating toward Ja, um, I think it's like Ja and LaMelo Ball are the incoming faces of the league. Those young people become season ticket buyers and so on and so forth. And so just on a basketball perspective, the thing that impresses me most about Ja is his handle on the pace of the game. He's not a guy who I question whether or not he'll be able to adjust should his body change. You know what I mean? Like, has been on display and right now he's got this insane athleticism and he's able to but if for whatever reason he were to lose a step to still think that his basketball IQ will figure out ways to be effective that makes total sense so that lines up with what Draymond Green talked about with JJ Redick recently about how jaw has such a handle for the game at such a young age it's like a chess match and and when basketball is at its mm-hmm. peak in my opinion that's a, that's what I like football a lot for that exact reason. There's a lot of moving pieces in terms of a chess match. You're trying to outflank. You're trying to, you know, do all those things with your opponent. Basketball at its highest level is that as well. And I think that's one of the things I respect most about Draymond Green. You know, obviously tremendous athletes can go out there, run a basic pick and roll, get to the basket, you know, play above the rim. You know, those are things that lots of players can do. But elite athleticism only gets you so far, especially once you reach the pinnacle that is the NBA or the WNBA, whatever professional avenue it is. You have to eventually be able to play with a high level of understanding of the game in order to achieve that next level. And I think Ja is a great example of that at a young age. His handle is underrated. Um, Obviously, his athleticism is remarkable. The fact that he is much improved as a three-point shooter Uh, per cleaning the glass. He is currently in the 64th percentile on all three-point shots, which again, considering he was in the fifth percentile last season, is a pretty dramatic improvement. Um, He's just really been special to watch play. So obviously John Morant is up there in terms of why this is happening for the Grizzlies right now. But there's other pieces that go along with that puzzle. And that led us to the question of the day, which I appreciated uh, you giving us the shout out on the retweet. 
Outside of John Morant, who is most responsible this season for the remarkably ahead of schedule Memphis Grizzlies? I think we can both agree they're at least a year ahead of where they're supposed to mm-hmm. be, if not more. Um, so the four options were general manager Zach Kleiman, coach Taylor Jenkins, Jaron Jackson Jr., who's having a tremendous defensive campaign in particular, and Desmond Bain, who, you know, if there's enough moving away from the idea that a second-year player shouldn't win most improved player, Desmond's having a pretty convincing season for a, a most improved player award. But let's start with Zach Kleiman because he won the poll. And I'm curious as to your perception of him, again, from that national perspective, you're not in the mix with Memphis on the daily basis that, that I and others are in terms of covering the team. Zach Kleiman has, in my opinion, kind of gone under the radar with a lot of this. And that's probably largely by design. I don't think that he really wants the attention. But Zach Kleiman is someone who has really been disciplined I think mm-hmm. that's my main question for you. I tweeted about you know trading for Kendrick Will- Kendrick Williams, excuse me, uh, Williams of Oklahoma City the other day, and Matt Moore of the Action Network was like, "Why the hell would you mess with this?" I think it was Tony Jones of the uh, of the Athletic was like, the "Grizzlies don't need to mess with this." You know, me as a blogger, as someone that follows the team, I'm looking for, oh well, they can improve their depth, but at the same time, does that really need to be? Is that necessary? And how rare is it? for a team that's as young as the Memphis Grizzlies to be in a position where you look at them and you say, no, they're, they're good. Like maybe long-term they need to make a consolidation trade, but usually when you are the third best team in terms of record in the NBA, you are looking to be a buyer at the deadline to take you to the next level. I'm not sure Memphis needs that. And that's kind of remarkable to say, and that is a direct reflection of the work that climate has done as a general manager. Is it not? Ooh, Joe. All right, that's loaded. It is. Yeah. And Kleiman has done a great job. Like my my boyfriend and I were talking about this the other day about um the draft selections that Memphis has made, right? Like, yes, job was probably the piece that put you over the top. But Jaron Jackson Jr. to me is like prototype pro. So is Brandon Clark, right? Um, and they have come along so well. Bain is a surprise. So that's icing on the cake. And so in terms of drafting and putting these pieces together, Kleiman gets all the credit. I don't know, though, if I'm with you on the Grizzlies should not be buyers at all. They're ahead of schedule, and I think that gives you tons of wiggle room. But my one concern watching this team comes not it's a depth slash size. I think I would put size before depth. Like, outside of Steven Adams, we're just going to be fast for the most part, right? Like Jaron Jackson can defend some of that four, maybe have to do some five. Like these are guys that don't shy away from the dirty work, even if they are defensive mismatches. But I would be looking for just one more buffer versatility type big-ish, right? I think in terms of um, shoring up that front court a little bit. That That's just my thought. Now, I'm not sure exactly who's out there. And I think obviously availability of a guy that's going to fit determines whether or not you're actually a buyer or seller. But I do kind of think sustainability-wise, there's maybe one more piece. Like, there's one more piece. Uh, some days I feel like maybe it's a dynamic wing guy. Some, some days I feel like um, it's a big. Usually I feel like it's another big, but I understand that that's a bit of a luxury in the league, so I'm not going to be, like, too, too greedy on such a talented squad. I, I'm curious as to your answer on this, and we'll go to break after this, but just the, the idea of vibes. 
right? And, and it sounds really lame with me saying that. I no, it don't sound lame. It, it sounds I'm lame. all in on vibes. Go ahead. My my well, my younger associate editors make fun of me because they talk about the vibes of this team and how well they're doing and how much they like playing for each other and how much that coincides with the success they're having. I'm kind of of the mindset of you that I would want to make another move, but I have been convinced to an extent that these vibes are worth more than that type of trade. You have played the game at a higher level than I ever did. How much do you put to that in terms of why this team is achieving? Like if they traded, let's say Kyle Kuzma is available, going back to our DC kind of connection Mm. there. Mm -hmm. And I'm not hypothetically speaking, he's probably not available, but let's say he is. And the Lakers first, which is probably going to be a late lottery pick, which I enjoy saying out loud. And (laughs) the Lakers first and Kyle Anderson and Jarrett Culver can get that done. Does that disrupt the quote unquote vibes too much? Do you bring in a bench scorer who can play those front court positions? Like, does that make the team better enough to compare to what, disrupting whatever good energy they have right now could do for the roster, especially with Kyle as their quote unquote vet. Uh, you know, it's only him and Steven Adams, I think that are 28 years old. Um, DeAnthony Melton, someone of that ilk. Does that disrupt that good chemistry that everybody thinks is, you know, a major reason why they're playing so well? Like there's people out there that say, don't make any trades at all. To me, that's counterproductive. If you're trying to get this team to the next level, you know, here's the thing about vibes to me. If you've got people that are focused on the same goal, the vibe is going to come sincerely. Right. Sure. And, no, that makes and, sense to me. Right. And so I think while I don't know that Kuz would be the guy that I go after, and I get that this was just an example, I am less concerned about because of the dominant culture led by Ja and the rest of those guys, Taylor Jenkins doing a great job. Because of the dominant culture and the opportunity to win in a meaningful way in Memphis, outside of going, outside of grabbing a complete wildcard guy with a history of being not focused or interested in other things, I'm not wildly concerned about the vibe part. Um, I don't, I don't want to see Kyle Anderson, though, involved, though. And so this is where it gets tricky, right? Because everybody has been such an integral part this team has been able to do just the movable piece now internally as we talk about build as we talk about building from within maybe a guy like tillman being put in a position to really elevate and take the next step solves some of the questions that i have right if it's just about the size and the depth so i guess i would have to defer to you guys that are boots on the ground daily in terms of really doing a deep dive at some of these names that we're not as familiar with on a national level and seeing who has the capability or the upside um, but I, I don't even think that the conversation about adding a piece is about this particular season. I think the Memphis Grizzlies are going to have a terrific season. I think they get out of the first round. I think they're going to be in a legitimate position to make some noise in that second round. It's going to be heavily predicated on matchups. But now we're talking about this team in terms of the long haul. Yeah, it's a long view process for sure. And again, shout out to Zach Kleiman, who has not deviated from that really in any way. He's been very disciplined, far more disciplined than, than a lowly blogger with uh, access to the trade machine. Uh, when we come back <laughs> on GBB Live, we're going to continue our great conversation with Monica McNutt. She's going to take a closer look at us, or for us, about the idea of Jaron Jackson Jr., Desmond Bain, which one of these guys, especially Bain, should be maybe untouchable moving forward. Uh, 
you know, who that movable piece is. We'll dive in a little bit more with that next. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinex, joined at this time by the wonderful Monica McNutt. She does a great job at ESPN, at MSG Networks. Uh, she, she is a self-described sports talker, hoop head, chasing gratitude. Uh, I really appreciate that. We talked about in the first segment uh, her career at Georgetown. Um, I, I have a lot of respect for her. I'm glad we have this chance to have this chat. And you, you mentioned in the prior segment the idea of, you know, who do you actually move? Because, yeah, on one hand, they could use you, – you brought up the idea of another big, and that's interesting to me. I've talked about Thomas Bryant, although I don't think he kind of solves the issues that, that you're concerned with, understandably so. Um, I kind of see them in need of a score. Maybe Dylan Brooks can do that. Our Parker Fleming wrote about that over at the blog. You know, sometimes the best acquisition at the trade deadline is health. And Dylan Brooks has been out a vast majority of the season. He's only played 74 minutes with the current starting lineup. So, you know, it, it's important to kind of see what Dylan Brooks could potentially be. Uh, but I, I'm curious as to your take, going back to our question of the day, who's most responsible for this season? Uh, before we get to the players, I want to lightly tap on Coach Taylor Jenkins because he is somebody obviously brought in by Zach Kleinman, brought in by ownership. He's really done a good job navigating this young team. He's navigated them, and I think this is something that goes under-discussed, you know, whether it's the issues around the murder of George Floyd, whether it is you know, the pandemic. This last two years or so, almost three years now, has been one of the most disruptive in our lifetimes in terms of all the different things that are going on. And he's dealing with one of the youngest rosters in the entire NBA. These guys trust him. I don't know the, the team well enough to say that they love him. I don't know if that's the case. But I do know that they respect him a hell of a lot. And to earn that, uh, given everything that's transpired in the way that he's navigated it, I've really been impressed with Coach Taylor Jenkins. I'm just curious as to what your perception of his him is, again, kind of from the national uh, view of things. You know, I had the opportunity to call or be on the call as a reporter for a Bucks Heat game earlier this year and I had a chance to talk with Grayson Allen. And he talked about the similarities between Coach Bud and Coach Jenkins coming from that pop tree and how, you know, it's kind of helped him over the course of his career, obviously in being with a new squad, but coming from um, Coach Jenkins. I think as I have the opportunity to talk to more and more coaches around the league and different players, there's something to be said for being a player's coach. And I haven't had the opportunity to cover a Memphis game or talk with Jenkins, but just watching his group, um, it feels like we talk about Ja having a pulse and a handle on the pace of the game. Like, he seems to have the pulse of that group in a way that's very unique. And perhaps it's because, you know, they are young and upstart. He's in his third year in this position. And so the they are stars ascending together as opposed to a coach that maybe is well-established and wants to do things their particular way. Like they're sort of navigating this brave new world together and playing to one another's strengths. And so the conversations around Jenkins being a candidate for coach of the year, to me, make the absolute most sense. Um, and I just think, they the Grizzlies are able to play with what looks like we used to call it organized chaos in college. But there's there's a freeness about the way that they play, but at the same time, you can clearly see their system. Like what do they do well? They're gonna get out in transition, they're gonna defend, they're gonna score in the paint. Like you can clearly see what they do well, but it, it just comes so fluid, which is I think as you look around the league, particularly as some of the thing as some of the teams that are are struggling, is something that shouldn't be taken for granted. Um, and so I think Jenkins, you can tell that his players enjoy him. 
um, just on a basketball level, they seem to work well together. And there's open lines of communication there in terms of what works best for all parties involved. It really is impressive. And like I said, on a much smaller scale, I can kind of relate to that as a coach and trying to get those players to buy into you as that voice, as that person who's out at the head of all of these decisions. Um, I think he's navigated it really well. So I wanted to, to give Coach Jenkins a quick shout out uh, in terms of he and he got 14 percent of the vote. Zach Kleiman got 47 uh, percent. But Jenkins was up there. In terms of at least getting some recognition, the second place vote getter in our question of the day, who's most responsible for the remarkably ahead of schedule Memphis Grizzlies was Desmond Bain. And I was kind of surprised by that, to be honest with you. That's a pretty sizable chunk of over about 300 votes, 26 percent going to Bain. Bain has been special. He's been truly remarkable in terms of what he's done, especially offensively. But I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, Monica, in terms of between Bain and Jaron Jackson Jr., who finished last. Again, Jenkins got 14%. Jaron got 13% in our poll. There's been a disconnect, a little bit of dissonance cognitively in terms of the idea of the second best player on the team versus the second most important. And I think that that sometimes, you know, you see people saying, oh, well, Bain's better than Jaron. Bain's been doing better than Jaron. Yeah, but but Jaron especially defensively just matters so much. Mm-hmm. Not maybe maybe not necessarily more, but I think what Jaron is doing defensively is so underappreciated. Um, not necessarily nationally, just in the fan base, in you know the media spectrum that is Memphis. I don't know because Jaw casts such a large shadow. We're missing out on a truly elite defensive season. There's things Jaron needs to do better offensively, but Bain has made up for some of that lost production. Uh, in terms of how he's taken a leap as a offensive producer, especially from three and even off the dribble, uh, he's done really well. So I guess my question for you is, Monica, do you do you see it as impact versus best right now? Do you see it as why are we making it a versus? They're both extremely important. Um, when, when you look at these two guys, Jaron has been widely viewed as the 1B or the 2 to John Morant's 1. What does that make Bain in the grand scheme of things if we're talking long view picture and in the here and now as the Grizzlies approach a, a probable playoff series here in the next couple of months? Ooh, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I'm long winded, Monica. I apologize. Ooh, yeah, but the, the nexus of the question is, is a tough answer. I, mm, yeah, I was listening to Isaiah Thomas the other day. And he, he he compared himself to Ja and compared Desmond Bain to Joe Dumars. And he's like, he would come in the locker room and have a 20-plus point game, feel it. And then he'd look up and Joe Dumars had like 34. And That's he was laughing about it. But he, he was saying the power of the one-two punch. He was pointing out the power of the one-two punch that both Ja and Desmond Bain create together. Um, oh, man. Bain or Jaron? Like, ugh. In my mind, in a perfect world, both of those guys stay. Like they're they're just not options in the and conversation. I think they will to... stay. In fairness, unless right. like a Jalen Brown becomes available, I think that maybe. And again, Boston has made no indication that he is available. If Jalen Brown was available, then maybe we talk about Desmond Bain. But like Ben Simmons, for example, if Ben Simmons magically, you know, Dylan Brooks, DeAnthony Melton, and Brandon Clark miraculously is now good enough for Ben Simmons. Maybe I listen to that because Bain's not involved. But if Bain's involved, I'm out when it comes to Ben Simmons. It's also situational in a way. But I guess the crux of the question is, uh, is it now a, a big three? Like, does Memphis already have their third man? 
in terms of if you're talking contracts in a couple of years, do they need to trade for a Simmons or a Brown anymore? Can it be kind of a fourth or fifth guy? Is, is the guy in front of us all along, and he was the 30th overall pick in the 2020 NBA draft? First of all, for the record, I would not put Ben Simmons next to Ja, personally. No. Fair I don't enough. like it. I don't like that at all. Um, ben Ja's Simmons improved. would have to change his style of play, and yeah, there's been exactly. no mental indication that Ben Simmons would ever do that. So exactly. I, think that's a, and, I think that's a fair point. I, no. And, and while Ja has improved in the three-point line, like, no. Mm-mm, I wouldn't do that. Okay, so okay, let's rewind to the point. Um, here's the thing when we talk about big threes, right? Like a lot of think about when the big threes, so-called big threes, come together in our league. It's guys that have already proven themselves, right? Outside of Golden State, which is like, hey, Memphis, if y'all want to compare your trajectory to Golden State, that's there's nothing wrong with that at all. Outside of those guys, big threes kind of happen retroactively through trades, guys that have have established themselves, right? And so I think even that terminology a little bit can be a little bit of a mind game. And so the question would be, do we have the pieces that we need in Memphis? Jaron Jackson, to me, and I said this, is the prototype NBA player. Desmond Bain obviously has done a tremendous work to take his game to the next level this season, and nobody's moving, moving Ja. So when this becomes crunch time, could you already have what you need? In my mind, 100%. Yeah. I don't think that that's far-fetched, but it's, it's not something that can be answered in sincerity right now. Now, to your point about climbing, he's been disciplined and incredibly patient. If the brass for the Grizzlies decide we're ahead of schedule, so we're going to let our guys grow and are not feeling under the gun, so to speak, to do anything right this second, then I wouldn't bother it. Because think about it, Joe. When you look around the rest of the league, you like there's growing and then there's aging, right? In my mind, the Memphis Grizzlies are growing. In the in the West, though, Utah is aging in my mind. Like, yes, uh, Donovan Mitchell is the young stud on that squad, but look at how they keep having these really, really tough injury breaks, right? The Lakers, obviously, they're aging, right? Like, Dallas, who to me could be a tricky matchup if y'all run into them in the first round, I I don't know that they're aging yet, but I don't see a ton of growth. And I know that Jalen Brunson is a guy that tons of teams around the league are interested in, right? Who else? Uh Golden State, all right, so Golden State might be the one team that's still growing with incredible superstars when you really look at what's happening in the West. And then you could say Denver's going to grow when they get healthy and they get – um. Uh, why can't I – I can see his face. Why can't I call his name? Who's my new balance guy? That, yeah, there you go, when they get Murray healthy. But in terms of, like, where Memphis sits right now in terms of their counterparts in the West, I wouldn't feel any pressure to do anything. I don't think that Kleiman feels any pressure to do anything. He got an extension – I think that they're very much playing the long game. And I that is where the, the crux of the issue is. This has been the episode of Crux. Um, the, the main point of all of this has been trying to find that balancing act between is the team as is good enough to get to the Western Conference Finals? Here's, and, here's the other thing ahead. I will throw out, Joe, and I'm sorry to cut you off. Memphis, is, Memphis and Ja is going to be an attractive place to play, and people are going to want to play with Ja. So again, not feeling any urgency, let it shake out. Do you think that LeBron and Damian Lillard are the only people that can get together and meet over wine? Like, <laughs> let it play out. You know what I mean? Like, if for whatever reason, uh, and it may not have anything to do necessarily with any of the guys on the current Memphis roster, but you don't know whose head is on a swivel in terms of unhappy free agency, whatever. Like, I would and, let it play out. To me, and, that's going to be a place and a guy that people want to play with in terms of job. And, and to your point, 
you'd mentioned LaMelo and Ja kind of being the guys that would potentially be the future of the league. If you're right, maybe Ja Morant is Kevin Durant and LaMelo Ball is LeBron James in terms of that conversation of, hey, these are the guys that people want to go play with. Can the Grizzlies keep Ja happy enough to make sure that spot is Memphis instead of L.A., New York? And that's nowhere near down the picture Mentally, Jaw seems very happy in Memphis. It's a very natural fit. Uh, but my point is, if these guys are the future of the league, you know, five years from now, maybe we're having these conversations where stars are are trying to flock to the Grizzlies. I, listen, I, I think that we are in a far different place in the league than we were even five years ago, right? Like, sure. yeah, Brooklyn's in New York, but that's not a blue blood organization of the league, right? I, I work for the Knicks. I do still think that the Knicks have drawing power and there's it's just a matter of time before a big time guy really wants to take on everything that comes with being the face of New York Knicks basketball. But like Giannis won in Milwaukee. Like Memphis sure. is is a real legitimate contender. The MVP is currently in Denver. Like I, I don't yes, there are some brass brands, but the guys that represent those brands right now are starting to see the light at the end of their tunnel. And so I'm not getting into the numbers in the league office and what big markets versus small markets mean just from the opportunity to win and be in places where guys are happy, both on the court and in their personal lives. I think a shakeup is completely fathomable. And by shakeup, I mean people wanting to come to Memphis to play with job. We're going to end on that. Cause that, that we talk about vibes. That is pretty immaculate vibes wise. If, if John Moran could turn Memphis into a free agency destination, uh, that that would be pretty remarkable. But if we've never had anybody like John Morant before, uh, if anybody could do it, it would be him. Make sure you're following her on Twitter at McNutt Monica. Again, she's fantastic on ESPN. She works for uh, MSG Network, as she mentioned a moment ago. Just a wonderful conversation. Thank you for all your work, everything you do. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to have you on again down the road. Sounds good, Joe. Thank you. Thank you, Monica. For Monica, I'm Joe. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This has been Grizzly Bear Blues Live.